0: Next week and uh, then we're into chapter 15 after that so uh, I've got to cover two chapters uh, this week but we're only really going to concentrate on the first part of Acts chapter 13 and uh, I, I first looked at this almost 50 years ago, I can't quite go back for this to the 60s uh, <laughs> but I'm nearly there because I, I studied this passage for O-level, uh, sort of pre-GCSEs, in the good old days we had O-levels and uh, so this was the summer of, or oh, the, the, the autumn of 1973, when I was just 14. Can you imagine? And uh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost 50 years ago now. So um, the guy who taught us this was, was my housemaster, who was a chap called John Spear. And uh, he was a Christian. He, he'd been a, a rugby player, I think, at County Standard. He was a lovely guy. Uh, he would tell us jokes uh, and... Um, they weren't, they weren't terribly funny, so I won't bother repeating any of them, but uh, he, he was a really nice guy. He was a part of the wallpaper of my life growing up. Uh, he had a steady, uh, not, not exuberant or, 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 or very showy Christian faith, but he was just a steady Christian. He loved the Lord Jesus. And uh, he was instrumental, as were others, in my coming to faith. After, I'd, that was after I'd left school, after I'd been to university, come back home... Uh, but but that, I just want to sort of name check him this morning. His name was John Spear, and he, he was a part of that, that fabric of my early life. People who shared the gospel with me uh, in an unobtrusive, quiet way and lived out their faith. So I just want to thank him. Uh, he, he's long since gone to glory now, but because uh, he, was, he was almost retired when he was teaching me in 1973. Anyway, we're in Acts chapter 13, so this was part of what I was studying as, a, as my O-level course. And we'll just read um, the first dozen or so verses. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or Paul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John Mark was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island of of Cyprus until they came to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus the proconsul who was an intelligent man sent for barnabas and saul because he wanted to hear the word of god but elimas the sorcerer for that is what his name means opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith then saul who was also called paul filled with the holy spirit looked straight at elimas and said you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery Will you never stop perverting the, the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, we... Uh, This is a great story, Uh, it it turns into an adventure as they uh, go on to southern Turkey and uh, beautiful things happen, miracles, signs and wonders, Uh, people who are crippled are healed and and Father uh, we're thrilled by this story but we pray that we might uh, really receive something of what you've got for us today from this story in Jesus' name. Well now, let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. In the church at Antioch, it's described as church, so uh, there's a recognisable group of believers uh, who, are, who are called the church there. And Antioch is uh, right in that sort of northeastern corner of uh, the Mediterranean where Syria meets Turkey. And uh, so it's tucked in that little corner. And a church had gathered there. Uh, we saw earlier in the book of Acts how people had gone there and started to share the gospel, and it had taken hold. And that's the place where people were first called christians and those leading the church are are described there are five of them here and they're they're a a diverse group and there are prophets and teachers Uh, it's not one leader but there's a group of five of them and they can afford as it turns out to send two away and the church continues it's still strong with just the three of them there but it's a diverse group there's somebody from africa two guys from africa i think uh, there's somebody from Cyprus, there's somebody from Judea, there's somebody from Asia Minor. So all over that corner of the Mediterranean. And uh, we, we see uh, that they're about to invest in mission. And we don't hear much about the other three later on, but it looks as though they gave away their best folks because that's where the story goes. It follows Barnabas and Paul when they, they go off. And they've got here uh, the word of God in the midst because... Uh, there are prophets and teachers. So there would be teaching from the Old Testament scriptures, teaching how Jesus fulfilled all the promises in the Old Testament scriptures. So the word of God is there in written form, the logos, as the Greek would have it, the the written word of God. And there's also the Holy Spirit in the mix, bringing the the lively word of God, the breathed word of God, the rumor uh, of God. And uh, so we see that it's important in this mix to have uh, both prophets and teachers. Uh, so we can be well taught from the scripture, but also here, as we have done this morning, just so grateful to God for the way that he prompted uh, folks to come and share. Because we hear today uh, this lively word of God, and we have the, the written word as well. So between those two, we've got a, uh, a lively balance of what God's saying to us and his practical instructions for us. So what were they doing? They were worshipping and fasting. So uh, just a note here, worship is just central to mission and we might come here and worship and think, oh, I've, I've been and spent some time worshipping worship fuels mission because it's out of this time of worship that mission happens and just as, uh, uh, as Paul was sharing this morning about uh, wh- why it is that, that, that worship fuels mission he, he was sharing about being reconciled to God having been, uh, been made right with God we reconciled to him as his friend And that reminded me of of the end of 2 Corinthians 5, uh, where it says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's kind of passed the baton to us now. And in the same way, he passed the baton to these guys, to Paul and Barnabas, and they're about to seize hold of it and go off. But this comes out of worship, folks. And... When we're worshipping, we're not just singing songs. It's fueling mission for us. It's fueling God's purposes for us as a church, as we worship. That's why it's so important that we come and worship each week. We don't just do it because it's what the church does or it's our tradition. It, God's, God's in this, and God speaks to us through it, through the words we sing, through the praise that, that rises up, and, and God's somehow present in the praises that we, that we give to him. And this fuels mission. I had a phone call from a, a vicar down in Dis in in South Norfolk this week, and he was looking for some money uh, for... I don't know why he rang me, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm a trustee of a charity that's got, got some money, that's why. Anyway, um, he wanted some money to help support uh, a sixth former who's an organist, a church organist. And uh, this guy's uh, got a tutor uh, at, um, at, at Dis... Uh, and and he just wanted to be able to pay this young man something for playing at services through, I think he's got about ten churches that he's responsible for, uh, this vicar. And uh, he's got one organist at at this, but he's got nine other churches. And so he wanted to uh, be able to pay this young man uh, partly to, to invest in his future as a church musician, but also... To fuel mission in those churches because people love to sing. They love to sing uh, to, to live music, uh, whether it's an organ or whether it's a guitar or keyboards. Uh, and knowing that somebody's playing and you're not just going to be listening and singing to a CD just transforms that whole worship experience. So he, he was aware, this vicar, that, that live music was going to be a draw. It's going to draw people in, it's going to have a missional purpose uh, investing in this young man's musical future. And they were fasting as well. So they weren't just worshipping, they were fasting at the same time. Well, of course, few of us sing and eat at the same time. <laughs> so we must assume that they were, they were spending some time fasting. They decided that they weren't, they weren't going to eat for a bit. And uh, we don't speak much about fasting. It's a way of helping us to clear our minds a little bit uh, of some of the distractions of life, to focus on what God's saying to us. So instead of thinking, when's my next meal coming?, we think, I've got a little time ahead now. I'm just going to hear from God. Uh, I'm going to set that time aside. And instead of uh, f- filling my, my face, I'm going to fill my heart with, uh, with what God's saying. It's an opportunity to hear from God. What if we're hungry? Well, we will be if we're not used to fasting. And Jesus has a good answer in John 40, 42, th- sorry, 4, uh, verse 32. He says, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. And then in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So that sense in which we're doing God's work can be nourishment to us. It can feed us uh, in just the same way as, as, as physical food. Of course, we need some physical food, so we shouldn't fast forever. But uh, it, it's a helpful discipline. Uh, and note the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to them. It's, it's, a, it's an indication God saw they were serious. They wanted to worship. They wanted to hear from God. Uh, they were fasting, they'd given themselves, uh, body and soul as it were, to, to hearing from God and to, and to worship. So God, the Holy Spirit, comes and speaks to them. And of course Jesus, just to note, is the bread of life. So uh, as, as we're fasting from physical food, uh, Jesus, some mysterious way, uh, provides nutrition and nourishment for us. And I don't fully understand that, but uh, nevertheless that's what it says. So then the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So this commission is really important for them because it gives them some assurance for what lies ahead. They're going to face some bumps in the road. Uh, They they get run out of town several times. Uh, Paul is stoned. Uh, They're not going to have an easy time uh, in in the days ahead. And knowing that God has called them to this work is just so important. It provides them with a, a foundation for what they're about to do. And as they're on the road, encountering these bumps, uh, they, they can remember, no, God called us to this. This is important. He'll, he'll see us through this. Uh, we've got some tests here, but God will see us through. So Jamie and Beth are an example of this, in a sense. They, they really felt God calling them to live in the place where they've now bought a new house. And they could have gone anywhere. They could have gone to Sheringham or Dis or you know, further afield. But they really felt God saying, this is where I want you. This is your mission field. This is where I want you to be sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbours. You've got a mission to these folks who live around here. And they've had a really tough time. You know, they've, they've had to go and live in a borrowed house for a bit. Uh, t- twice, in fact. They, they lived in a, a rented place for four months, then a borrowed house for, uh, for two weeks. But God's come through right at the 11th hour. You know, it's sort of the last minute almost. But it stretched their faith. It stretched our faith as we've been praying with them. But they know that this is where God wants them to be. Uh, this is where God wants them to And then God has set them apart here. So coming back to Barnabas and Saul, they've been set apart in some way. So what does that mean? There's a sense of commissioning. They're going to go off. Just these two, the other three, are going to stay behind and uh, look after the church. There's a sense almost of consecration. that, they, that some Hands are laid on them, we'll see in a minute. And that they're set apart in a very... Uh, tangible way we're commissioning you now to go and do this work in accordance with God, what God's called us to and they're called to work it's not just going to be a holiday cruise we think oh we'll go to Cyprus for a holiday and <laughs> or we'll go to Turkey for the beaches yeah that'll be lovely no that's not what they've gone for they, they know it's going to be work the Holy Spirit said there's going to be work ahead uh, it's not going to be plain sailing so again it's important for them to know that God's called them to this so how does this happen? Hands are laid on them. Now, we, again, we, we've been a bit sort of cautious about this uh, laying on of hands because of COVID, for that we won't be able to meet even, never mind lay hands on one another. But uh, laying hands on, on, on folks is important. This is how they were commissioned or set apart. And we see at the end of chapter uh, 14 that they were commended to the grace of God for the work that they would do. That's what it says a little bit later on. So there's more fasting. <laughs> I've got to feel called to that. There's prayer and there's laying on of hands. Something's been imparted to them through the laying on of hands. There's confirmation here of God's commission for them, but it's also blessing. From ancient times, we see uh, that, that there's blessing in the laying on of hands. So uh, in Genesis 27, Isaac blesses Jacob. Remember, he, he gets in first before Esau and, uh, and, and gets hold of the blessing that Isaac has to give, and then later on he passes it on to his uh, his grandsons to joseph 's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. We often read of Jesus laying hands on people to heal them, and the apostles do the same thing, so Acts chapter three and verse seven, we saw Peter and John at the temple, and they take the beggar by the right hand and help him up instantly, his feet and ankles become strong, so there's something really uh, powerful about laying on of hands here. And we've become a bit cautious about this kind of physical interaction because of COVID and, you know, awareness of personal space. And we do need to respect one another's space in this. Uh, but, but there's something very important about laying on of hands and praying for one another. And when God's got some clear commission, uh, I hope that we'll feel able to do that. So when Ben and Sarah went off to, to Frankfurt a few weeks ago, it was good just to be able to lay hands on them and say... Uh, go with God's blessing for what he's called you to. And see uh, the, 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 the apostles regarded this as an elementary teaching. In Hebrews chapter six, uh, the writer says, this is just part of the elementary teachings of the church that we lay hands on one another and uh, blessings imparted. So uh, let, let's, let's uh, be alert to uh, the appropriate uh, opportunity to lay hands on folks and, and to, to pray together. And just to note, they're obedient here in uh, what what they do. They respond to what God said. They don't say, "Oh, not really sure you're saying that." Don't fancy Cyprus this time of year. Uh, <laughs> they, they're obedient. They 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 get and go. And uh, uh, I, I've mentioned this before that obedience to God's word is something that's been emerging from our, our study through Acts. Uh, there've been a number of occasions where we've seen people have been obedient, responding to what God has said And God's saying something to to us for a purpose here. He's not just saying, oh, obedience is important. I believe it's because He's he's going to be provoking some of us, perhaps, to to get up and go. Not that I want to encourage you to do that, but when He speaks to us, we need to be ready to say, yes, Lords. And this is, I I recognize this is what you've got for me. All right, so they're commissioned and they go off on their their first missionary journey. And we won't won't look at the whole journey uh, because uh, it would take too long. but um, they go off to Cyprus and they proclaim the word of God uh, and they're in the synagogues of the Jews and they go around the whole island and um, uh, so it would have taken a while and they get back to uh, Paphos on the east coast and they encounter this, um, this sorcerer and Paul here demonstrates that the power of God is with him and we, d- we haven't heard anything about this up to this point they've gone around the islands uh, w- without remark really but they get to this important point now they're at, the, they're at the, um, uh, the office or the place where the proconsul, Sergius Paulus is, and they, they encounter this false prophet, Alimas. And Paul demonstrates that the power of God is with him. So he's, he's, not, he's not shy about calling him out. <laughs> he says, you're a child of the devil. You know, we'd, we'd be pretty bold if we said that to somebody, wouldn't we? And an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. So this is pretty, pretty bold stuff. He's, no, he's not <laughs> mincing his words here. And then, then there's this kind of judgment on him that Paul pronounces. Now we're, we're, we're often used to seeing people healed and made well. But suddenly there's, 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 there's judgment here. And Paul says to him, uh, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking somebody to lead him by the hand. So something very tangible happening here. The power of God is present just to, to push back darkness and push back evil and to restrain it and say, enough here, you, you've held sway here long enough. He'd been in, in Sergius Paulus's uh, place for a while. We don't know how long he'd been there. But uh, he'd obviously sort of wormed his way in there and Paul comes and says, enough, now, judgment. You're... And the, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, is struck by the power of God. He's amazed, and he believes. And so a significant guy in the island who's, uh, who's got a, a responsibility of, for the administration and governance of the island is, is saved. And this is a significant moment in the island's history. So something wonderful happens here. He's saved, he sees the tangible power of God and uh, you'll see later on, Paul says to the Corinthians, "I didn't just come with eloquent words. <laughs> no, I came uh, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power." He says that in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So, uh, your, your faith doesn't rest on what people say, on 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 what preachers may say to you what I may say to you your faith rests on the power of God at work in your life the, the conscious transformation that God makes within your life and that, that's important because it's only when you've experienced that, uh, that for yourself that it becomes real and you can rest on that foundation if you're just persuaded by me that putting your trust in Jesus is a good thing you might be persuaded by somebody else next week to do something else And we need to know Jesus. We need to know him personally. Then they go off to Turkey. Uh, They've uh, had a successful mission in Cyprus. They go off to Turkey and uh, they preach at Antioch. There's a different Antioch. It's Pisidian Antioch. There are apparently 16 different Antiochs altogether. So uh, they all got different names. But this is the one in uh, the central southern Turkey. And they're preaching and teaching from Old Testament Scripture. And... uh, Paul is is preaching about how Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. And people are so excited by this. The second week, a big crowd turns out. Almost the whole city turns out, verse 44. And some of the the, uh, Jews become jealous and they begin to contradict what Paul and Barnabas are saying. So Paul and Barnabas have a a bold response. We had to speak the the word of God to you first, but you rejected it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, so we now turn to the Gentiles. So this is what the Lord's commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, of course, that we've already seen some people who were not Jews being saved. So Cornelius, the, uh, the centurion, and Sergius Paulus, the, uh, uh, the proconsul. So we've already seen some people responding to the gospel. Uh, some Greeks in Antioch had responded to the gospel already. But uh, this, is, this is Paul laying down a marker, uh, that my mission here now is to the Gentiles, to those who, who don't have this heritage of faith. Of course he doesn't in- ignore the Jews later on, he often goes to synagogues later on, but he recognises that God's calling on him uh, is to, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So it's, it's the start of a mission to those outside the traditional Jewish community now they're driven out of town uh, but because the Jews get upset and uh, so you know they they escape town but uh, this isn't going to be for the last time it happens again and again (laughs) and uh, so they get used to it they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit so uh, they're they're thrilled at what has happened so they're conscious that something something powerful has happened here even though they've been driven away by some, some some have been saved they go off to Iconium, and then to Lystra and to Derby, and we see that in the next chapter, uh, chapter fourteen. They get driven out of town again, at Iconium, and Paul is stoned at Lystra, uh, not the Portobello Road stoned, but the uh, <laughs> but rocks thrown at him. And, and this is this you know, Paul. Paul, you know, he he knows that there are going to be some some tough challenges ahead, but he but he's he's been commissioned by God. He had hands laid on him by godly brothers. And so he, he goes with what God's asked him to do. And he pushes through these difficulties. They've seen some wonderful things happen. In Iconium, lots of people have been uh, healed. A crippled man's been healed at Lystra. Uh, and uh, signs and wonders provoke uh, both repentance and salvation for some, but also a pushback from, from the enemy. There's, there's persecution from others. So there's a spiritual battle going on here. It's important to note that sometimes... You know, we, we experience difficulties. There's a spiritual thing going on which will respond to prayer. And we heard Paul last week preaching about the importance of prayer and digging in uh, in prayer, just, just bringing these things before God together. And uh, although there's a reaction from the forces of darkness, they're unable to undo what God has done. And so churches are established in these places because we see that Paul and Barnabas then go back through Derby to Lystra, Iconium, and to Pisidian and Antioch. And they strengthen the churches there. They appoint elders there. And so when they get back to, uh, um, uh, t- to Antioch in Syria, they're able to report you know, churches have been planted. Like the church in Antioch, there are now churches in Cyprus and all through southern Turkey. And again uh, they, they pray and fast before laying hands on uh, those who become elders uh, and, and they pray for the churches that they've established. They fast for them. Uh, they're, they're serious about their concern and care for these churches that they're well planted and that they should go on to prosper. Now we don't know what happens in Antioch after they've been sent off uh, but, but the action follows Paul and Barnabas and so we, we, we follow them. And uh, when they get back, at the end of chapter 14, they return to the church and they reported all that God had done through them and how they'd opened, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So that, that's a kind of a footnote to, to this journey. God had commissioned it, the Holy Spirit had come and said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for this work, off you go guys, and, uh, uh, and, and go off to, to Cyprus. Uh, and then to Turkey. Why did they go there? Barnabas was from Cyprus, so that was his home, and Paul was from uh, from southern Turkey. So it's kind of natural places to start with their their ministry. And uh, they stayed there then. When they got back to Antioch, they stayed there for a while again. So they hadn't, they hadn't sort of completely disappeared, gone away. Uh, they, they returned to the church, of which they were a part. And they remained associated with that church as they went through... Uh, Cyprus and Turkey planting new churches uh, replicating uh, the kind of model of church at Antioch and in a way this is the start of the first apostolic the first relational mission if you like the group of churches on a mission together uh, planted uh, by Paul and Barnabas uh, out of the church at Antioch and just to come back to why why they're doing this go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if anyone's in Christ he's a new creation the old has gone, the new has come. So we're all new creations if we're in Christ. Isn't that great? We're not, we're not tied to our history. We are new. All this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the day of my favor I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. And I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the time of salvation. This is tremendous encouragement for us. We are are now ministers of grace in the same way that Paul and Barnabas were. And we need to be alert to what God's saying to us. Maybe it's to share the gospel here, maybe in our workplace, maybe in the streets where we live or at the school gates. We need to be alert to what God's saying. There'll be an opportunity today to share the gospel. I'm calling you to go and share the gospel here. Maybe he'll call us to go abroad to Frankfurt or uh, somewhere else, uh, as he's done for Ben and Sarah. Maybe he'll call us to stay here like uh, Jamie and Beth. Wherever he's calling us, whatever he's calling us to do, let's be alert to that and be ready to be obedient. Let's share it together. Let's, let's hear the word of God together as we have done this morning as folks have come and shared what's been on their hearts what God has given them just so precious that God speaks to us in this way but let's be ready then to be obedient to him so that he doesn't speak in vain because there are those out there who are lost, who are desperate who are anxious in this season prices are rising there's war, there's famine there's chaos, fuel shortages there's lots to be anxious about if we choose to be illness, but Let us put our trust in God and let us be alert to him so that we can be obedient to him in these days. Joe, would you come up? Let's pray together.